Hey, we're so honored to have some incredible guests with us this morning, Bishop Aaron Blake and his incredible wife, Mary. Their personal story of what they have done personally as a family with orphan care and as a church has inspired not just people in their home church, not just people in their community, but people all around the world. Their story is worldwide. And, you know, that story is doing what God desired. It's lifting God up and giving favor and a platform for ministry. Uh, Bishop Aaron is the director of Family First, which is the orphan care ministry of the North Texas Assemblies of God. And the heart of this ministry is to equip and train churches in orphan care. And uh, with the favor that God has given this family, they've been able to come to the table uh, with state leadership uh, and bring back the state and the church together and figure out how we can support and care for families so that kids can stay in homes. And when that can't happen, that the church can provide homes for kids who need them. Would you guys welcome Family First and the Orphan Care Ministry? Thank you so much. There are 30,000 children that are in the foster care system today in the state of Texas. There are half a million children that are in the U.S. that's in the foster care system. And I said, who would stand with me today for these kids? That day, Nedra Wade, she stood and raised her hand and she said, Pastor, I will. And then another person stood and said, I will. And another stood and said, I will. And another stood and said, I will. Well, after the process started in our church and family after family, within three months, 39 children were placed in families in our church. Jesus, Jesus. What if there was more families waiting for children than children waiting for families? So we called Child Protective Services. And they said, if that happens in any county, that will be the first ever. That's good. That's good. Make me feel like I'm at home in my church, you know, where, where we get down. You know, we get. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, the worship team did. I tell you, Pastor, your worship team is off the chain. I'm telling you. Amen. Go give the Lord a hand praise. <laughs> Glory to God. I'm excited to be at Grace Place. I looked up and, and, and saw some of the themes of, uh, of, of this church and go, that this church has, and it just thrills me. And I'm, I'm excited about being here. Oh, I want to just talk to you this morning, and uh, this is not a sermon, this is not a message, but this is, this is more of my, of my life and my story, uh, just a, a, 
a phenomenal uh, uh, miracle happened in my life that God gave me the privilege of experiencing. But, but let me start out with, with the premise of one Sunday I stood up in front of our church with the intent of preaching a, a, a strong gospel message and everybody got, would get saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and then put a lot of money in the offering and go home and I would be a great pastor. That was my goal. I stood up and, and began to share uh, scripture similar to this found in Galatians 4 and uh, beginning at verse number 4 and it says, but when, and that's in God's plan, the proper time had fully come. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the regular law, uh, under the law, so that he might redeem and, and liberate those who were under the law, that, that they might be adopted as sons. So when I began to stand up to preach that, that message, uh, an incident happened that, that kind of moved my whole message and paused my whole message, which you saw in the video. And in that, on that particular day, uh, that day was triggered by some circumstances that happened prior. So as I begin to, to think about the day and think about your theme and, and look at the, the message today is a call to care and a call to stand. And I think your theme and your message have been preached, amen, because we care. And I thank God for this church that's moving in the area of this very thing. But let me tell you what happened to me uh, several years ago in this little church called Brownwood, Texas. And uh, a little church in a town about 20,000 people had about 150 members. And, uh, and so on that particular Sunday, I had stood up and to tell them about an incident that had happened to me that led Mary and I. Uh, and by the way, this is Mary here. Wave your hand, honey. Amen. That's Mary. She's my first wife. She's the best one I ever had. She's the only one I ever had. And, uh, and so an incident happened to me, and, uh, and there's a picture of our church in Brownwood. Uh, that's the next slide. That's our little church in Brownwood uh, that we were there, and, uh, and we were there right in the middle of the hood. I tell you, you know, we used to have some, some Holy Ghost times in that church. And so uh, what happened to me, uh, I was a bivocational pastor, amen, working uh, at Brownwood High School. And one Sunday, well, one Sunday, one day, uh, beginning of school, the principal sent a young man down to my office. Now, when it came, usually when kids come to my office, it's usually either to get a schedule change or because of some things that's going on in their class and they need, they need my help to, to kind of help navigate through that and working with parents. But he sent Melvin down to, to my uh, office, and Melvin came in with a little attitude. He came in and sat down in the chair right in front of my desk, and he looked at me, and he said, uh, I don't know who you are, but I want to tell you right now, you are not going to make me go to those classes. And I looked at him, and I said, well, son, I'm not the make or go to class tour. And uh, so he looked and, and, and he said, I'm not going to go. I'm just not going to go. And I said, well, let me call down and find out why you're here. So I called the office and they said, he's not a discipline problem. The problem of it is, is that he said he's taking those classes and he's not going to go to class. Well, Melvin had done the math. They had him with only three credits 
and he's supposed to be a second semester sophomore, and he only had three credits. He did the math, and he figured out when he was going to graduate, and that wasn't, that wasn't in his portfolio that he wanted to do. So Melvin said to me, he said, now, if you fix my schedule, I'll go to class. Well, as we went through the process, I had no idea what to do and how to fix his, his schedule. Lunchtime came, and he said, hey, you're going to let me go to lunch? I said, no, because you can't go to lunch because you don't have a schedule. And then we went past lunch, and then all the lunch periods had gone by. He said, I'm hungry. Well, about that time, I was hungry, too. I said, well, let's go get a burger. We went down to the local local hamburger place, and we sat there eat, uh, and ordered and eat, ate a hamburger. And while eating a hamburger, I found out something that I did not know, had no clue of, had no understanding of at all. I found out what the process was for a kid at nine years old who entered the foster care system with four other siblings, five total, scattered in different homes. And he had been in the, in the system since he was nine and he was sitting in front of my desk at 16. In the system, he had, he had, while in high school, he had been in five different high schools. And in the process of moving from high school to high school, if he didn't finish a semester, he didn't get the grade, and the high school didn't bother to even forward what he did do on to the next one. So as I began to go back and piece together what could be a, a, a schedule for him, but on the way back from the hamburger place, I got to put this piece in, we stopped by the, 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 the athletic department. It's something about an athletic department, and you walk through there, and you smell the stinking socks and all that kind of stuff, that if you're an athlete, it just makes you want to go out and tackle somebody and just run a football or something. Well, Melvin said, hey, if I go to class, could you get me on the football team? And I said, well, Melvin, I can't promise that. I'm not the coach. But on the way out of the locker room, the coach stops. Hey, you brought a football player to me? And I said, well, no. I, he said, well, boy, he looks like an athlete. Why not? And before I could say anything, Melvin hunched me in the side and said, shh. <laughs> we get back to the office, and I committed to Melvin that I was going to find out how we can get him in his right grade. So I called all the schools, and I said, did he finish a six, six, six weeks over here? Did he finish a semester over here? We'll piece it together. But if you don't help me piece it together, he's going to be your dropout. And folks got very cooperative. As we walked through the process, we got Melvin in the right grade, got Melvin on the football team. Melvin had a very good year. Melvin had, got a, had uh, met a little girl, got a little girlfriend. Everything was going great in Melvin Johnson's life. And the next picture you'll see is a picture of Melvin Johnson. And, uh, and Melvin is, is, is now has given me a grandson. And uh, so, and he is a number. I'm telling you, he is a number. Of course, the pretty girl there, you know, that's, that's my wife. That's my, that's my sweetheart. That's my honey dumpling. That's my, oh, we, uh, Melvin, this is my story here. <laughs> and as Melvin got on the football, the, the very next year, the very next year, a, and he came out, they were, they were doing uh, tour days, and, uh, and so Melvin came up to me and said, hey, Pop, and I said, yes. He said, we, 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 we got a little problem. And I said, what is it? Because I went out to, to the practice field to see him. He said, this is right here. This is Joseph. And I said, oh, hey, Joseph, how you doing? And he said, we're doing fine. He said, Melvin said, hey, Pop, uh, Joseph is a foster kid. I said, okay. He lost his placement. I said, oh, okay. 
I told him that don't worry about it. We got him covered. Joseph comes to live with us. Seemed like it wasn't but a week or so. Uh, 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 the next week, he comes up to me and said, hey, Pop, uh, this is Buck. He's a foster kid. And he lost his placement. And I told him, don't worry about it because he's our fullback. We got to have him. And I said, we got it covered. Buck comes to live with us. CPS called and said, we love keep siblings together. And Buck has a brother. So Diego comes to live with us. Six boys later, our house is filled up. And in the process of our house being filled up and everything going so well, they were playing ball and, and all things good. And, and one caseworker called me and said, Mr. Blake, you work so well with teenagers. We really love for you to take more teenagers. Matter of fact, we really can license you to be a group home and you can have 12. I said, ma'am, you haven't met my wife yet. Me and those 12 boys will be on the street trying to find a foster home ourselves. But that Sunday at Greater Faith Community Church, I stood up and I said, who will stand with me? We got to stand for these kids. These kids are abused, neglected, and abandoned. Melvin, my first son, in foster care at nine years old, siblings scattered, mother in prison, didn't know his father. And I began to just point to them and say, here's my boys. Will you stand with me? One lady standing mid, mid of the church, she stood up and said, I will. And then one by one, our church began to stand for the orphans that we knew in our community. Because of the drug epidemic and many other things that, that were going on, we knew that our church had to do something about our, our orphans that was in our neighborhood. I had been on mission trips, and I had gone over to orphanages overseas. And many times we fly over kids to get the kids when the, when the orphans are blocks away from us and in our communities. I had never heard a, a, a sermon. I had never heard a sermon about orphan care. I had preached from James many times, but I never had looked at the scripture that tell me that we need to care for orphans. So we began to form a ministry called Harvest Family Life. And the Harvest Family Life was a ministry where we reached other churches and we told the other churches we need to be all for one. What if all of the churches in Texas, all of the churches in the North Texas district, all the churches in this neighborhood will be all for the one? Now, the one may be someone that you know. The one may be a foster child that comes to your home. The one may be the foster child that you pray for. The one may be the foster home that you support and wrap around. But what if all was for the one? What if this whole church says, look here, I have a call of God on my life, maybe not to foster, maybe not to adopt, because everyone is not called to foster or adopt. Matter of fact, I'm wondering if some folks even, even called to have a child. You know, but that's another story. God cares for the one. And God wants us to stand for the one. One child, one church, one community, one nation, and if we all stand for the one, there will be no one child left waiting. We understand, and I told our boys when they first came to, into, into our home, 
I said, I want you to understand this, that you are no longer in the foster care system. You are engrafted into our family. Well, they wanted to know what engrafted meant. I said, engrafted means you take one plant that goes into the soil, and when it comes up, you cut into that plant, and you put another plant that doesn't look like the one from the soil, and it's engrafted in. And I said, by the way, guys, Amen. The scripture tells us, therefore, if any person is in Christ or engrafted into Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away and behold, all things become new. And let me tell you something, friends. Amen. The church ought to know about adoption because we have all been adopted. We've all been engrafted into the family of God, into the body of Christ. There's nobody saved in this room that God did not call you from, amen, of a non-existence as a child into his family. You know, we had a daddy, and his name was Satan, and he really was an abuser. He really was an abuser. But, but God, through Jesus Christ, amen, God summoned us and adopted us into the body. When Jesus died on the cross as our big brother, amen, his blood was shed so that our blood could be purified and we could be purified through him. So adoption is a spiritual matter. Adoption is a matter of God calling the church to be itself for others who are not uh, adopted, who are alienated from physical families and spiritual families. What if this church, what if this church says that we're not only are going to look at the physical, but we're going to look at the spiritual matters, amen, in adopting children and the bondage that they're in. So God began to let me understand this, that Jesus took our guilt, our shame, our sin, our death, our curses, and our alienation and, our, and us as orphans, and he adopted us as sons. And guess what the word of God said, that when he does that, we call him. We call him Abba Father, or we call him Daddy. Many of you, as you were worship, and I noticed the songs with geared to orphan care this morning. But notice, amen, we sung the song, Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. Oh, our hearts. Amen. What if every child had the opportunity to sit in grace place and worship and love God and someone loved them? And I know you loved them before you even saw them because God loved us before we were ever born. The word of God tells us, in this word of God, said that we're in Christ. These two little words, in Christ, are the most important words that's spoken by the Apostle Paul. These words say we're in Christ. We are, we are found to be in him. There's over 130 scriptures that use the phrase in Christ or in him or in whom. These phrases really tells us that no matter where you come from, no matter what your, what your race may be, no matter what, what if you're male or female, when you are, are born again, you are now in Christ. All things are gone. What a reconciling moment. Can you imagine foster care being the place that breaks down racial division? Can you imagine that? I saw your baby. I think it's your baby. Your baby came in and I had, had the privilege of, of, I wanted to ask him so bad, can I just hug you? You know, but he, he doesn't know me as Papa Blake yet. But I wanted to. Not because his skin was like mine, 
but because he has been accepted and loved by someone that didn't care what color his skin was. Isn't that wonderful? Because God calls us to a place where we look at the child that's hurting. You know, Jesus, when, when they were kind of disciples were bragging and, and talking about who's the greatest. You know, sometimes we get the who's the greatest church, great, great place here. Oh, who's the greatest church? Oh, greater faith community church. Sometimes we get into who the greatest ideas. And even as people, but Jesus took the child and put it in the middle of them. And said, listen, guys, unless you come like this child, you won't enter. You won't see the kingdom. He says, he says that this child's spirit, this child's mentality, this child's ideas is greater than that. Let me tell you one of the one of the crushing things to me was when one of our son, Joseph, our son, Joseph, his, his, his mother was white. His dad was black. His mother had emotional problems, and, and, and so he was removed when he was a baby. Joseph came to live with us, and Joseph had told the caseworker that, hey, I don't want to be in, in a religious home, bad place. I didn't want to be in a black home, bad place. And the caseworker said, I think you are like the Blakes. And then he went on to say, and matter of fact, because of you have broken foster home after foster home and because of your anger, we just don't know any, any other place that we could place you. Caseworker came in and said, Mr. Blake, said, we don't know what to do with him. This is his last straw. Will you take him? My wife and I looked at each other and we said, well, sure. And what we really were saying is, we took Melvin, we took, we, we took Buck, we took Diego, we took... <laughs> so we were saying, if God gave us the grace to do that, God will give us the grace to do Joseph. Joseph came into our home angry. Joseph had a, a drinking problem, an alcohol problem, and drug problem. It was, it was hard. It was hard. But let me tell you, Joseph graduated in high school. He said he wanted to go to Texas Tech. Joseph went to Texas Tech, and, and Joseph went to med school. And now Joseph is about to graduate med school as, as a doctor. All because we believe that God could do something with someone that had trauma because of neglect and abandonment, and someone needed to love him enough to say God's grace is sufficient and is enough. Well, let me tell you, amen, we have a young, another son who, he was, he was a customer. His name is Diego. Diego had, had more issues. I mean, he had more issues than Carter's got pills, I'm telling you. One Sunday morning, Diego came home. And so Diego grabbed, he grabbed a, 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 a bottle and he, he started preaching, trying to preach like me. So, Pastor, he he got the mic at, at the, 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 the bottom. He said, uh, and God said. And I said, wait a minute. I know I don't preach like that. And he would try to imitate me preaching. 
But he had an anger problem because his, his, every one of his family, immediate family, was in prison. Drugs had taken out his family. He was molested as a child. Diego got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. Diego got, de- got delivered, and now he's a gospel rap artist, and now he's a youth pastor at one of the churches right here in Fort Worth. I know God, power can deliver. Let me, let me, if all the orphans in the world form their own country, there would be, there would be enough orphans to form the 10th largest nation in the world. But what it, wouldn't it be great that if this county, if this area could be like Brown County, Brown County was the first county in Texas They have more families waiting for children than children waiting for families. Ellis County was the second county that we know of that had more families waiting for children than children waiting for families. What if Grace Place became a leading seed church and said we're going to make sure that Dallas County has more families waiting for children than children waiting for families? You say, well, Brother Blake, how do we do this? First of all, it's understanding that the revelation of orphan care is the revelation of God's grace to the church and God's grace to the orphaned. I want you to do something this morning. I want you to think about if you know of a child, if you know of a family, that have had some crisis along the way that either threaten that family's existence, children that have had some struggles, or if you know someone that's in foster care, or if your family have had that experience. I want you to just bow with me just for a moment. And we're not going to pray for the child. I want you to bow with me for a moment and ask God, Lord, what what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do if you're in your 60s or 70s? What would you have me to do if you're in your 40s or 50s, in your 20s? What would you have me to do? Everybody not called to foster. Everybody not called to adopt. But everybody's called to do something. Let's bow. Father, we ask you. to touch right now those who have a heart, those who have a mind and a spirit. With the orphan theology penetrating through their minds and spirits to reach the hurting, the family that's in crisis. Some child, Lord, cried last night. Because a 180, 200-pound body came into their bedroom and hurt them. Lord, stir the church. Stir me, Lord, that I can hear you. And Father, I not only pray for the orphan, 
but I want to thank you for loving me as an orphan, that I'm no longer an orphan. We ask your blessings right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going away, but I will not leave you as an orphan. And we should not leave children bouncing from foster home to foster home to one day age out of care without a family. Many of them are trafficked in two years. Many of the young men will have a criminal record. In two years, many of the young girls will be pregnant if the church doesn't be the church. Thank you for allowing me to speak. I'm Aaron Blake, and I approve this message. There was a baby girl who was born with fetal alcohol syndrome and also was considered a drug baby. And because of those reasons, CPS took her and her older brother from her birth parents at that time and placed them in foster care. Uh, during that time that they were in foster care, the parents did the necessary things that they needed to do in order to get back those kids and that baby girl and her brother went back to live with their birth parents at that time. A little while later, the birth mother was arrested and the birth father was found drunk in the home and so CPS decided it wasn't a fit home for uh, the girl and her brother and then took them and placed them in another foster family. This foster family did not want little kids or babies and with that came neglect. Uh, the neglect was found when they were taken for a night stay with another family and that family went to change the diaper of that little girl and found that had not been changed in a long time and there was skin that was being peeled off as the diaper was being changed. Because of that neglect, that little girl and her brother were able to stay with that Christian family for a longer period of time. And when that girl turned two years old, her and her brothers were adopted by this Christian family. And with that came healing and love, and not just love from those parents, but they were also able to show the love of Christ. At some point growing up, my adoptive parents, my mom and dad, told me this story. This is my story. I was in three homes by the age of two years old, and many children don't have the opportunity that I had. Many kids in foster care are moved from home to home until they age out at age 18. There are currently 996 children in foster care in Tarrant County alone who are waiting for a mom and dad, a family to claim them and to adopt them. 
Today I am standing up and telling my story in hopes that other Christian families will stand with me to love a child. My dream is that every child will have the same opportunities that I had, to be cared for by a Christian foster family or even adopted by a Christian family. Maybe they will marry an amazing guy or girl. Maybe they will become a pastor, a doctor, an educator, or maybe an advocate for orphan care like me.